Y'all can be seated. Some announcements you just need to stand for. I'm here because I want to let you know what's going to happen during the rest of the service. Um, we're going to be uh, reading through the book of Ruth, some things that we've seen already in the weeks past, and we're also going to see the rest of the story. Um, and so we're going to see, as we have the last couple of weeks, how the story of Ruth shines light and, and opens up windows for us to understand the Christmas story. And, uh, and as we do that, our fitting response to the story that we're going to hear is worship. And we are going to worship God. And we're going to sing carols that help us to do that. And we're going to follow uh, the pattern, the acts pattern, right? The A-C-T-S pattern. Uh, this is the pattern that includes adoration, adoring God, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Um, we've been doing this all year. If you've been a part of our city Bible reading, um, this is uh, the way that we meet God. Because again, the point isn't just to hear the Christmas story, but it's to respond to the Christmas story. It's to worship the God of the Christmas story. And so we're going to do that as we go through the lessons and the carols. We're going to go through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. You know, this ACTS pattern, um, for those of you who are here and you're not Christians, um, this is the way to get to know God. It's by A, it's adoring, confessing, thanking, and then supplication. And if you do know God, this is how you respond to him. This is how you go deeper in your relationship with him. And so we're going to have readings and then lessons and then carols that will help you to worship. And so the readings you'll find in the bulletin insert, uh, the, the double-paged, you see there, if you open up that, that big white page, you'll see there are our lessons and our readings. I'm going to go ahead and read us the first one. Uh, lesson number one there. This is from Ruth chapter 1 and 2. Selections there. And if you've been with us, you'll see that this is some review. But again, it's appropriate for us to remember this story because it leads us to worship. And so listen now. Naomi said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me bitter. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you, or, do not, or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And then from chapter 2, Boaz answered Ruth, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. This is God's word. And so again, our story begins, the story of Ruth begins with Naomi. She's bitter. She's isolating herself. She's convinced that God has forsaken her because her life has fallen apart. Right? She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She lost her livelihood and her savings. She's convinced God's against her. 
And so she's pushing people away. She's pushing people out of her life. She is isolating herself. But Ruth, Ruth won't let her go. Ruth is Naomi's widowed daughter-in-law. She won't give up on her. And Ruth is personally committed to Naomi. She's devoted to her. And her commitment pushes through Ruth's or pushes through Naomi's isolation. She presses and presses and breaks through. And ultimately, Ruth saves her. In chapter 2, Ruth's faithfulness works tirelessly for Naomi, and she receives an extravagant reward for both of them. And so this reminds us of the Christmas story, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Um, in your bulletin, <clears throat> on the back cover, there's a little outline there with some of the, with the lessons that we're going to see. And so if you want to fill in the blanks, you can. Um, Christmas proves that Jesus is personally committed to us. Okay? That's the blank. Christmas proves that Jesus is personally committed to us. In our bitterness, in our isolation, I mean, what Jim just said so beautifully, in things that are going wrong and in the things that are going right, Christmas proves that Jesus came to show that he loves us and that he's devoted to us. Jesus' birth, his coming, was this remarkable this remarkable event, and it led to his life of full commitment to us. He lived perfectly for us. And he said what Ruth said, although he said it a little bit differently. What Jesus says to us, he says, where you are, I will come. Jesus says, you shall be my people. And then he says, where you should have died for your sins, I will die for you so that you will live forever. That's the Christmas story. And our response, our fitting response to Jesus' commitment and his faithfulness is adoration. It's adoration. When you understand this story, the way to respond is to adore God. He came for us. His faithful work saves us. Oh, come, let us adore him. A reading from Ruth, chapter 3. Boaz said to Ruth, And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Please be seated. So the story continues with Ruth letting Boaz know that she would love to marry him. And Boaz is flattered because he didn't think he had a chance with Ruth. And he says he will marry her. He will rescue her and Naomi from poverty. But he can't. But he can't because there's someone else in line in front of him. There's someone else who has the right to marry Ruth first. And Boaz can't marry her if this other person wants to. And isn't this life? Isn't this the tension and the struggle of life? Life doesn't always work out the way we want it to. Following God doesn't mean that life is always going to be easy. Adversity is part of following God. 
struggles and obstacles, those are part of the journey. And doesn't this then remind us of the Christmas story? Don't we need the Christmas story when adversity begins to grow in our lives? Um, And Christmas proves something to us. Christmas proves, again, this is the next uh, blank in your bulletin, that Jesus is with us in adversity. Jesus is with us when things fall apart. God cares so much about us that he sent his son to experience the ultimate in adversity, the ultimate in suffering, so that we would know that he is always with us when we are suffering. He's always with us in adversity. Adversity doesn't mean that God's not with us. Adversity is actually one of the ways God invites us to come even closer to him. And our response to this, what's our response to this truth of Christmas? Our response is confession. Response, we need to confess our need for salvation. We need to confess that when life gets hard, we tend to complain. We tend to get bitter. We want life to be easier. And so confession is about us coming to God and saying, God, we need you to come and ransom us because we are captive to sinful attitudes. We mourn in our exile here until God comes to save us. And so as we continue to worship him, let's remember to confess our sins and our need for him to come and save us. Continuing on with the story in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 and 9 and 10. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and had sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me so that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetrate the name of the dead in his his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are the witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech, and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetrate uh, the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. So for this lesson, uh, I want to invite the kids who are under 10 to come up front and sit here with me. 
I want to have them get a little bit closer view of the story. So if y'all would just come up and you can sit on the rug and we're going to talk a little bit about the story that we're reading here. Anybody else coming? All right. Yay! <laughs> all right, I have a gift for you all, but I'm going to give it to you in just a minute, okay? All right, come on up, guys. Maybe we should make some more room. Can we scoot over this way a little bit to the edge of the carpet? Room over here. We need a bigger carpet, don't we? All right. Come on up, bud. Or you can sit back. That's fine, too. Fantastic. Well, okay, I know you all are listening so intently about Ruth, right? Yeah. Were you dying to find out what was going to happen next? Not really? Because really? you, you kind of... <laughs> Yeah, you know, he just read us the end of the story. Like, what's the drama left here, right? Well, so listen, there were two men who could marry Ruth, okay? There was Boaz, and then there was the other guy, okay? We don't know his name because, well, we don't really need to remember him at all, okay? Boaz was second in line. Have you ever been second in line for something? Yeah. How does that feel? It's all right. It's not that good. It's better than third. That's true. You're right. But it's not as good as first. Right? And so Boaz was second in line. There was somebody in front of him. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth. Right? Ruth was like the princess. And Boaz wanted to marry the princess. And Ruth wanted to marry Boaz. But there was somebody in front of Boaz. And so what did Boaz do? Boaz did the right thing and he got the other guy. And he gave him a chance. That was the right thing for him to do. And what Boaz told him, Boaz said, hey, listen, Ruth has some land. And uh, this land, whoever gets the land is going to make a lot of money. And when he told that to the man, the other guy said in verse 4, if you're following along, um, the guy said, okay, yeah, if there's money, I'll take it. I'll take it. And, and when that happened, like our hearts break. Our hearts break, right? We were hoping for that. We were hoping that Boaz and Ruth were gonna that, that it was just all gonna work out. And yet, no, he takes it. He says, "Yeah, I'll redeem it." But then, in verse five, Boaz says, "Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. There's one more thing I didn't tell you about yet." He says, "If you're gonna take the land, you also need to take the girl." Okay, he says, "You're gonna need to marry Ruth if you want the land, and you're gonna need to have a baby with Ruth." so that Ruth's family can continue on. And at that point, the guy backed out. The other guy said, wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, I have to wash my hair that night, and so I can't actually take Ruth. Um, and so what do we see here? Uh, in verse 8, he says, Boaz, you know what? You can have her. And so Boaz gets her, and everybody cheers. Yay! Right? Verse 8, it's like, this is where everybody cheers. Boaz is going to get Ruth. Ruth is going to get Boaz. And so here's what we learn. Okay, here's what we learn from this story. In this story, 
one of the men loved Ruth's money, but Boaz loved Ruth. Right? Which do you think is better? If you were Ruth, who would you want? Would you want someone that loved your money, or would you want someone who loved you? I'm not a girl, so I don't know. <laughs> That's part of the answer. So in this story, what we see here isn't just Boaz's love for Ruth, but we see that God also loves Ruth. And God loves Ruth so much. God loves Ruth so much that he wants to make sure that she gets a man who loves her and who is eager to redeem her. Do you know what eager means? No. Anybody know what eager means? Isabel, you look like you know what eager Yeah. It's like when you want to do something. Have you ever, do you understand the difference? Have you ever been told to do something by your parents and you had to do it? Right? Have you ever had to do something? You got to do your chores, you have to clean your room, you have to get dressed, you have to blow your nose in a tissue rather than on your hands. We don't want you to burn up there, Jake. Well, sometimes there's things that we have to do, but then there's other times where there's things that we want to do. Things that we want to do. And so Boaz was there not because he had to marry Ruth. Boaz was there because he wanted to marry Ruth. That's a big deal. That's a big deal. And I think there, this reminds me of the Christmas story. How the Grinch stole Christmas? How come? Do you think it's the same thing? No? Okay. That's a good guess. How does that remind you of the Christmas story? That Boaz didn't have to come, but he wanted to come. Well, that's good. Yes, yeah, so the three kings. Remember we sang about them? They didn't have to come, but they wanted to come. What's even more special than that, and this is for all of us, right, is that Christmas proves that God didn't have to come, but that God wanted to come. God wanted to come. Jesus came to prove that God is eager to redeem us. And so if you're taking notes, that's the blank there. Um, that's the next slide, if it's still working. Um, if it's not, yeah, there we go. Jesus is eager to redeem us. This, this eagerness that we can see in Boaz, we can identify with Boaz. And what the rest of the Bible would want, to, would want you to know is that that's how God feels about you. Jesus came not because he had to, but because he wanted to. And he actually wanted to come and pay the price that it would take to redeem us. So we have a verse here from John chapter 10. Let me show it to you. Jesus says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And so God loves us so much that he wants to make sure that we know that Jesus was eager. He was eager. There's a verse in Hebrews 12 that says, Jesus suffered a lot, but he was willing to enter the suffering happily because he knew it would save us. That's good news. 
That's good news. Salvation is the gift that Jesus brings at Christmas. One more verse from Romans 5. It says, The grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. I have something for you all here. It is a small gift. It's a very small gift. What this is, it's actually an... Yeah, I was right, huh? I told you it was small. <laughs> it's actually an ornament. You can take this home and you can put it on your Christmas tree. And I bet that this ornament is going to be the smallest gift in your whole house this Christmas. You can check, and if it's not, you don't want to open it. It's just an ornament that goes on the tree. You can check, though, and if you have an ornament, if you have a gift that's smaller this Christmas... Tell me and let me know what your parents' email addresses are, and I'll talk to them about that. <laughs> but kids, here's what I want you to remember. When you see how small this gift is, here you go, Anna. I want you to remember that this smallest gift is a picture of the biggest gift that Jesus gives to us. Do you know what that gift is? Yeah, that Jesus came for us, that he was willing to die for us. And so this tiny gift is a picture of the greatest gift that God could give. If you open it, there's a picture? If you open it, there's nothing. There's air. <laughs> this, is a, this is an ornament for your tree. Here you go, Leo. Here you go, buddy. You got one more. See if we can get all the way over to Noah. Here you go, big boy. Here you go. And so, um, so when you see this gift, I want you to remember that Jesus didn't have to come for you. He wanted to come for you. Okay, can we all remember that? That Christmas is about a God who didn't have to come, but wanted to come. I want you to remember that. You don't have to remember that. <laughs> but I want you to remember that. Now, how should we respond to this? When someone gives you a gift, what are you, what are you supposed to say? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I think the best response to this is thanksgiving. On thanksgiving, we need to be thankful to God. Right? We're thankful that he came. We say, God, thank you for coming. We say, God, thank you for the fact that you didn't just have to come, but you wanted to come. Thank you for coming. Thank you for living for us. Thank you for, for sacrificing for us. Thank you for paying the price to redeem us, to set us free so that we can be forgiven and filled with your presence. Christmas is about being amazed and overwhelmed with thanksgiving. This is good news of great joy. And so kids, I'm going to have you go back and sit with your parents again. And while you do that, we're going to sing about this good news of great joy with thanksgiving in our hearts. Lesson four comes from Ruth 4, verses 13 to 17. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer, 
and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Okay, one last lesson. One last lesson. The book of Ruth ends kind of as you'd expect until the very end. It ends right until the very end. Ruth and Boaz, they have a son. Right? The women in the town rejoice with Naomi. Naomi takes her grandson in her arms, and we remember that this is actually the climax of Naomi's story. Okay? In some ways, this story isn't even about Ruth. It's about Naomi. And here we see that God has finally given her an heir. He's finally promised and shown that her family is going to live on. She's not going to lose her future after all. So all of the tension now that began in chapter 1 is resolved. And then in verse 17, their son is named Obed. And the word Obed means worshiper. It means worshiper, which is a fitting name because throughout all this ordeal, Naomi has come back to worship God. She's gone from bitter to now again. She is worshiping God. And then Ruth. Ruth has worshipped God throughout. Boaz and the rest of the town are now all worshipping God because they see that God has been at work in the lives of these people. And so this is like the ending of a comedy, right? The end of a comedy play where everyone lives happily ever after. And then, and then, this isn't and then bad, but this is and then, oh my goodness, holy cow. Um, Verse 17, at the end of verse 17, Obed has a son. Jesse, who is the father of David. David. David, this is the David. This is one of the greatest kings in Israel's history. This is David who conquered the mighty Goliath. This is David who saved Israel from slavery to the Philistines. This is David who taught the entire nation how to worship God with all their heart. And so we see David's name in this short genealogy that comes at the end, and we realize, you know what? In the midst of this amazing story that has come to a fitting conclusion, God has been doing something even greater. God has been doing something even greater than just bringing this family to a happy ever after. Suddenly, these two widows and farmer are more than just two widows and a farmer. Right? That's what Ruth is about. I mean, think about all that we've experienced over the last four weeks. Think about all that this story has brought to us, the way that's connected with us, the way that it's... I mean, we're talking about two widows and a farmer. God has been at work in these two widows. God has been at work in this farmer so that they would raise a family that produces one of the greatest leaders in all the Bible. Um, They followed God through their adversity, and they made God, and then God, in response, God made their lives matter. 
Their lives brought a savior for Israel, and, and that's what God does. Okay, this is how God works. He takes the faithfulness of ordinary people. He takes the faithfulness of widows and farmers. He takes the faithfulness of moms and dads, of singles, of vice presidents, of lawyers, of nurses, of doctors, of accountants, of teachers. He takes their ordinary faithfulness and he does something extraordinary with their lives. And in this, again, we can connect the story with Christmas. Right? The fourth lesson in your bulletin, the fourth blank up here on the, on the slide, Christmas proves that our lives matter. Christmas proves that our lives matter. Jesus came so that our lives would matter forever. Jesus came to offer us forgiveness, but also love, acceptance, and then power. Jesus wants to transform each and every one of us into people who live by faith, who walk with God and experience his power. He comes to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. As far as sin has penetrated your life, that's how far he wants to make his blessings known. And so when you commit to Jesus, whether you're committed already or whether you'd like to be committed to Jesus, your new way of life begins to change you. Following Jesus will change the way you think, it'll change the way you speak, and it will show the other people around you who Jesus is and what he's like. You will become more and more like him. Jesus came because Jesus wants your life to matter. He wants other people to see in your life and know that you're part of his family. One of my favorite descriptions of the early Christians is in Acts chapter 4. It says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. They were astonished. Because who are these people? They're just ordinary people. They're two widows and a farmer. But they recognized that they had been with Jesus. And so ordinary people with extraordinary influence and it's because their lives are pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus changes people. He changes us. And then he puts us on display so that others can know what he's like. And Christmas proves that your life can matter. That's why Jesus came. And so our final response to this lesson is supplication. It's supplication. A supplication is just a humble request. That's what it is. It's a humble request. We ask God to make this true, not just for these two widows and this farmer, but to make it true for us. We say, Father, help me live by your power. Strengthen my faith. Use my life to help other people to know you. Give me your grace at home so I can love my family and raise children who love you. Make me bold so that in my neighborhood and in my community, others can know you. Father, help me to bring my faith into my workplace so that I can influence people like Daniel did with the Magi and leave a legacy of excellent work and active concern for others. Right, our supplication is, God, please work through me. This is what we ask. And in this way, when we pray this prayer, our lives begin to take on the shape of Christmas because we begin to come into other people's lives 
with the desire to let them know that they're loved, that they're cared for. And in that way, our lives become the next chapter in the story of Christmas. God's story of coming down in love and in power to make his blessings known as far as the curse is found. Let's sing this together.